Hello and welcome to The 100 Podcast. Zen and Charlie here with you. Hope you're well. Today we are doing our wildcard draft review. Obviously the wildcard draft for The 100 has come and gone. The picks are in. So we're going to go through the selections, see what we think of them, and then answer your mailbag questions that have come in as well. Charlie, first of all, what, what was your initial reaction to the wildcard draft? Because there were some picks we expected. I think were pretty obvious. And then there were some kind of... as Again, expected ones that came out completely nowhere. Yeah, I think largely it was what I expected in so much as I felt like we knew some of them and some of them we knew were going to be completely left field. Um, and that's pretty much what we got, really. I think, you know, there are some that make complete sense. And I think generally, like on a macro level, they all make sense to some degree. When you kind of step back and look in the wider context of who is available, maybe they all don't make quite so much sense. But that's kind of what I like about it. It's funny. Uh, and, you know, that's that's part of the fun. So let's take a look at who actually went in the draft, and then we'll circle back to the picks we found interesting. Uh, Birmingham Bears' Dan Mousley went to the Birmingham Phoenix. George Scrimshaw, the Derbyshire Seamer, went to Welsh Fire. Uh, Jamie Smith went to the London Spirit. Uh, Richard Gleeson went to the Manchester Originals. He was right to match. We don't know who made that right to match. I'll make an educated guess it was the Welsh Fire, but... They got Richard Gleeson in the end. Forty-one-year-old uh, Michael Hogan, who retires at the end of the season, uh, goes to Southern Brave. Uh, Trent Rockets get Ben Mike of Leicestershire. Uh, Jack Haynes goes to the Oval Invincibles, uh, and Ben Rain, for the second year running, becomes the Northern Superchargers wildcard pick. What a selection! Yes. What a veritable list of names. I feel like there are some names there that make complete sense from the off, some really strong picks there. There's some names there that also have come from a little bit left field, shall we say. And I think we're going to get into that in a little bit more detail soon. But yeah, there's a few that caught my eye, I think it's fair to say. So Dan Mousley, um, we didn't mention actually in our preview of this because effectively... Um, after we recorded, he went on a two or three game stretch where he obliterated the opposition. He's only played four innings for the Birmingham Bears this year, averaging 55 strike rate of 178. He played two or three of those innings after we did the podcast. So a bit of a late bolter, given he's only played five games for the Bears this year. And if you look at the MO of the Birmingham Phoenix, who want those ultra-aggressive players in there, uh, he seems like a good fit. I think it makes complete sense. It's obviously the Birmingham connection as well. He's got the home advantage there. He's a boundary hitter. He can bowl some useful spin as well. I think we expected that Phoenix were going to go for a young batter who hits boundaries quite regularly. That seemed like something that was a, a fairly safe bet. I think Pepper may have been in the mix as well before, obviously, he got taken by Norman Superchargers ahead of the draft as a, as a replacement pick. So he might have been their route number one pick. I don't know for sure. Either way, Mousley is one that makes complete sense for them. He's a useful off spinner as well. He's been a pretty good nick of the ball as well this season to them. So I think overall that was a not unexpected pick and one that makes complete sense for the Phoenix. Yeah, and I, I I see why they've gone about it because I, I think they'll just want to add a little bit of batting depth to that side because you know, you know how it is. Players got a form. They kind of hit this, that, that, that beautiful moment last year where all of their players are playing out of their skin. doesn't happen every year. So I think it makes sense for the Birmingham Phoenix. 
So the Welsh Fire brought in George Scrimshaw. Now, I imagine they had a go at Richard Gleeson, but obviously the Manchester originals right to match him. And Scrimshaw is a fantastic bowler. Been very, very good for Derbyshire this year. Uh, had a fantastic night against Somerset, which is a very weird thing to say for any Derbyshire player after the obliteration that occurred in the quarterfinals of the Blast. He's tall, quick, has a lot of bounce, but Will Smead in some troubles in that quarterfinal. He's good prospects, and I think, as we've said, he probably suits the Welsh Fire Grounds quite well, Charlie. Absolutely. I think we all know that at the Fire Gardens in Cardiff, the straight boundaries are very short, the square boundaries are longer. If you're a seamer, you want to be bowling it hard into the track and try and force the batter to go square. And that's exactly his game. He will bowl it hard into the track. You only have to see his first over against Somerset to see how effective he can be bowling hard into the pitch. If he, if he hits those short back of the length kind of areas. He's really hard to get away. He's got some pace. He's not necessarily the quickest ever, but as far as a domestic seamer goes, he's definitely pretty quick. Uh, he's tall. He gets bounced. He's just a very effective cricketer. I think he will suit them very well. They needed that extra seam depth, I think. Otherwise, if you know ball or pain went down injured, they were going to be in, in some issues in terms of putting out a seam attack there. So Scrimshaw is a more than capable addition to that squad. I think he'll play quite a bit, to be honest. I think he's a, a very good signing for them. Yeah, we love Scrimshaw on this podcast. I think he was a guy that's got a ton of potential as well. And if you're looking towards the future for the Welsh Fire and they're looking for you know high-quality domestic players to develop, to retain, to use over the next five years... I think Scrimshaw is an interesting proposition for them. So uh, a very, very good signing. And I do think that this is the kind of play that makes a lot of sense, not just for the short term, um, but for the long term as well. So a good process by the Welsh Fire, though I imagine they probably would have wanted a bit of Richard Gleeson if they could have had it. Let's go on then to, I think the pick that took us by surprise the most maybe um, London Spirit taking Jamie Smith, the wicketkeeper batter uh, out of Surrey. He's played nine innings for Surrey this year in the blast. He's averaging 15 with a striker of 115. It's um, it's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? Because look, Jamie Smith has a ton of talent. We've talked about him a lot. He's a guy who's going to become a very, very good player. But if you're looking for a player to contribute this year, it doesn't seem to be the moment for him. Look, they've picked on potential. That's quite clear. They've picked on potential, and that's fair enough. I kind of like that. However, there are players out there and available who not only have potential, but can also play now and make a contribution right now. Dan Mousy, for example, is a guy who has potential, but also can make a contribution right now. And Jamie Smith, I'm not convinced he's going to contribute right now. I really like him, but I just think they could use that pick better, and it's a shame. But, oh well, I don't hate it, but... It's just a bit weird, isn't it? I'm not, I'm not convinced, personally. Do you think anyone else would have picked him up, is my question. Um, I suppose that the, the debate you want to have within yourself is if you're the London spirit and you really want to bring a player in and you say you really value what James Smith can be, could you have done it in next year's draft, maybe? Uh, or even next year's wildcard? I don't know. Clearly, they're desperate to have him. and They see that they don't have too many holes in their squad. And, and look, they have a strong squad. I just... I do feel like they could have gone a different way and there's a bit more quality because I know in my mind, there's a couple of things within their squad that could hold them back, whether that's the fact that they're going into this tournament, kind of having to work out their team balance. Are they going to play 
um, Liam Dawson at seven and have Brad Wheel at eight, maybe. Bit of a lengthy tale. Are they going to go in there and have Jordan Thompson, Kyron Pollard, Glenn Maxwell, Dan Lawrence become their fifth bowler? There's all sorts of, of different issues within the squad where you think, how are they going to balance it? You know, especially if Zach Crawley is going to be playing for England, maybe, and, and Daniel Baldrum is not in great form. Maybe they want another opener who can contribute now. I don't know. Maybe they go Stevie Eskenazi to add a bit of depth. It just feels like in terms of this year's squad, it's not going to make a big difference for them. He probably won't play. Clearly, they like him for the future. Fine. But for a side like London Spirit, who have a, a strong squad this year, I think being a bit more short-termist might have been the option for them. Mm. Yeah, I think we're both expecting Stevie Eskenazi. Obviously, the Middlesex connection there, that's something they've been keen on. They've bought Roland Jones as their replacement for Blake Cullen, which you know shows how much they value that home ground knowledge. But I I just think there were better younger players available. You know, I clearly they decided they wanted the batter, which I guess is kind of fair enough, but I'd have been I've been tempted by Freddie Heldrick, to be honest, of the year. I feel like he's a guy who I think could contribute now and is young and is full of potential. Their spin attack is currently Dawson, Crane, plus, you know, a bit of Matt a bit of Lawrence. And, you know, there, there is depth there, but none of, none of them strike me as being the most attacking bowlers. And Heldrick would have given you that extra X factor, I guess. Yeah, I know he's young and raw, but... If you want a potential pick, I feel like he's one who's going to contribute more than Smith will in this team. Because personally, I don't think it's very likely at all that Smith's going to play this year for them. So, yeah, a bit of a head scratching. Let's move on to the Manchester Originals and let's start our review of their pick with a mailbag question. Checked here from Manchester Originals fan account, uh, who has commented saying, given that we had the RTM, that's the right to match on Gleason, and given that you have both been very clear on your thoughts on our seam attack, um, just to be clear, our thoughts on the seam attack of the Manchester Originals, although they're terrible. Uh, I would be very disappointed if Charlie didn't take every opportunity to call out Ed's non-selection of the standout player in the wildcard draft. Now, what the Manchester Originals fan account is talking about here is the wildcard draft predictions me and Charlie put together. We both kind of put in suggestions and where we thought each team would go. Uh, and the reason that I didn't put Richard Gleeson in the Manchester Originals is because me and Charlie both did our predictions independently, sent them to each other, and they were exactly the same. And so I thought it would probably be good to have a bit of diversity. So in a slightly COVID-infused state, I just decided to screw around with things. Well, the Manchester Originals' fatal flaw currently, ahead of the wildcard draft that was, was their seam attack. It wasn't very good. They had Richard Gleeson, they obviously got a lot better. The other issue that the Manchester Originals have is that they have no left-handed batters, and the only one they have, Tom Landmanby, isn't in particularly good form. There's another slight issue, of course, given that they play at a ground at Old Trafford, which takes spin. Uh, the idea that a left-arm spinner could come on at any time, or a leg spinner could come on at any time and have a positive advantage, positive matchup, probably isn't a good one. So I thought, okay, let's take the opportunity to add a left-handed batter there in Saif Saib, uh, and just play around with things. But, Charlie, if you would like to give me stick for not picking Richard Gleeson to the Manchester Originals, here is your chance to do so. I mean, I think it was inevitable that they were going to do that, right? They were always going to go Gleeson. Of course they were. It was obvious. It made too much sense not to go for Richard Gleeson. However, I'm not going to offend you too much, because in all honesty, I do think that the lack of left-handers and strong players of leg spin in that middle order might be an issue for them. I really do. I mean, Lamanby is the only left-hander, as you said, but 
he's quite weak against leg spin, so he doesn't really fix that issue particularly at all. You know, if he's not in good nick, there's no point playing him just because he's left-handed because he doesn't really fix that issue if he's going to throw against legs. And obviously, you know, they've got some fine players of spin there. Ashton Turner is pretty solid against spin. Josh Butler at the top is a very good player of leg spin. Other than that, you look at guys like Salt, you look at guys like Tom Lamanby, Overton's a great pace whacker. They've got lots of pace whackers in there, but I feel like that middle order looks a little bit tricky for me. And I do think the lack of left-hander might be an issue for them on a pitch that, as we know, is very conducive to spin. I just think it makes opposition bowling plans against them quite straightforward. And I feel like it will be quite successful. You know, Evans is a decent player at spin as well, I'll give him that. But I think it might be tricky for them to find a way to get all of their best players of spin into one batting lineup because they've got Madsen, Ackerman, Turner. They're all kind of doing the same thing. And I don't think they'll be able to fit more than one or two at most of those into the same lineup. So I do think that they're going to be a tricky team to balance. And I can completely see why going for a left-hander in the wildcard draft wouldn't have been the worst idea. But Gleason makes sense. Calvin Harrison is going to look like peak Shane Warne in the Nets for the Manchester Originals. He is going to look like he's taken the biggest step forward. Nobody will be able to play him. And I do think that's a, that's an underrated weakness with this Manchester original side is the fact that they're going to be very easy to match up against. It is a concern. That's why I went with Zybe. And Gleason's a good pick, though. We've been talking for ages about how awful their seam attack is, so I think it was inevitable. And I do think it's a good pick. Uh, and it, it it fixes a couple of issues there for them. I mean, you feel much better about putting Richard Gleason in the lineup than you do Dan Worrell. Not to be mean about Dan Worrell, but let's be honest, you really do, don't you? Um, and obviously he had a great debut against India. Um, hopefully he can keep that momentum going. So I think that's a good pick for the uh, for the originals. Obviously, we'll, we'll kind of see how it works out for them. I, I just am slightly concerned about this side and how they go about balancing it. Because when we try to put the composite 11 together, it's all very difficult. So, yes... Thank you, Manchester Originals fan account. You are correct. It, it should have been Gleeson. That's probably, uh, it makes sense because it's his home ground. You really need to see him, but there are other issues and I just kind of wanted to highlight that. Let's move on to the Southern Brave though, shall we? Um, who I think nicked the Northern Super Creakies player. I think that, you know, if there's one issue I have with the Northern Supercharger Seamus attack, it's not experienced enough. It just doesn't have enough T20 games behind it. So the selection of 41-year-old Michael Hogan, who's retiring at the end of the season, would have been perfect, but he's been stolen by the Southern Brave. Obviously, uh, Michael Hogan, bit of an out-of-the-blue one if you haven't been following up the blast this year. He's had a fantastic season, though. Um, he's taken 20 wickets in 11 games, economy rate just over 8, um, strike rate of 12.3. You know, he, He's been really good for Glamorgan. Uh, especially at the top of the innings. So uh, why do you think Hogan was the pick here for the Southern Brave, Charlie? What, what, what was their thinking? Well, for a start, I think they correctly identified that they needed some more seam depth because they've had some injury issues with their seamers this year. George Gardner's had long COVID. He's not been bowling a great deal for Sussex, and when he has, he's struggled. Obviously a great bowler, but his fitness can't necessarily be relied on right now. Jamal Mills hasn't had the best year either. He's had a few injuries of his foot, I believe, and his form hasn't been as good as we can expect from him. Last season, all of their seamers were on red-hot form. They were brilliant, and they were by far the best team attack in the competition. On paper, again, this year, they still should be. However, with the injury and form issues that some of them are having, it was clear from the offset 
that they needed some more scene depth. And clearly they have decided that Hogan was the best suited option for that role. I don't think he really came into our thinking at all, to be honest. Yes, he's had a great season, undoubtedly so. But I think we're expecting a younger seamer, someone like Scott Curry, maybe, who has, you know, homegrown experience there at the Aegeus Bowl, a young upcoming bowler who that's typically the profile of player that the Southern Brief and Mahela Jai Warden have typically favoured. But in this occasion, I can only assume that the thinking was we need someone with vast experience who's in red hot form right now, who we can depend upon to come in and do a job when Garton and Mills maybe are struggling a bit. And I kind of get it in that in that kind of context. I do get it. I was surprised to see a guy who is retiring in this year get picked, to be honest, because I, it felt slightly at odds with Joe Warden's strategy over the years. But I don't hate it. I was surprised, usually because, you know, you expect the World Cup to be someone who you can lock in for the future. I mean, Hogan, you absolutely cannot do that. Like, you, you just can't because he won't be there next season. You can't do that. But as a purely one-off thing for one season, you're going to get one of the blasts in form bowlers to back up your guns in case they can't play. I don't think it's a bad pick. First things first, good on Michael Hogan. 30 grand to play in the 100 final season just before you retire. He deserves that. He's a great guy. I'm going to pick up on your point, secondly, actually, about um, how wildcard players seem to be a little bit more experienced than we originally thought. I thought we kind of associated wildcard players with the emerging talents coming out of the TCW Blast. That's kind of how people have marketed it. That's kind of how you'd expect it when squads are done. Um, but actually what we're seeing is rather than these exciting young players who are coming in and, and ripping it up and maybe ones for the future, a lot of teams are looking for players who they can depend on now. Ben Rain, for example, last year, first overall pick. He's not a young emerging player, but Ben Rain, of all things, is pretty dependable. I mean, that's a whole shtick. Um, here, the Southern Brave potentially facing issues with their seems fitness and form. Their original thought is, okay, we're a really good side. We're going to win this year, hopefully. Let's back it up. Let's go get a guy who we know we can depend on. It seems to me that sides really kind of covet that experience and that ability to step in straight away far more than they kind of value those young guns who could be good down the line. I think that's an interesting part of this. It's also important to remember the Southern Brave have brought in James Fuller as well. Um, so they brought him in as a replacement, um, presumably for Joffre Archer. We don't know, but he gives them another squad option uh, as well. There, yes, another side who passed on Richard Gleason. What did that take? It's a four side who passed on Richard Gleason now. That's the Southern Brave passing him for James Fuller. Overland Invincibles for Gus Atkinson. I'm not totally fussed about that because I, I think I, I understand when I've done that. So, but we'll include them anyway. Birmingham Phoenix for Tom Helm, the London spirit for Tobias Roland Jones. Hero, love you, Tobias. But it, it that that's now four teams who passed on Richard Gleason. We did get a, a comment actually saying, well, would the right to match have impacted um, that in any way? I don't think it would have. You, it's not in the draft mechanism is my point. So if it's not on the draft mechanism, it's a replacement. I don't see how the right to match would impact that. So I don't really know. I wonder if the marketing or the ECB were like, no, you're not allowed. He's going to Manchester. Bog off, get James Fuller. But worth pointing out that there are now four teams who've passed on Gleason who would very much have liked to have him. 
I mean, the only explanation that I can think of with regard to that is because obviously to sign a replacement deal, you have to enter direct negotiations with whichever team wants you. And the only thing I can think of is that he wanted to go to Manchester. And so teams approached him and he said, no, thank you. I want to enter the draft. It's not impossible that that happened, but I don't know. I'm, I'm just spitballing here, but I'm, I'm trying to make some sense of what doesn't really make sense to me, <laughs> um, oh, to be brutally honest. That, that's what kind of doesn't... I don't, I don't know. Maybe the, that, that's that's a very good point, actually. I hadn't thought of that. I wonder if that's the case, but I don't know if I was Richard Gleeson and someone offered me some money, I'd take it. I don't think pulling on the famed black of the of the Manchester Originals is really going to be in like, oh, God, I've been dreaming for years of playing for the Originals. I don't think that's really going to be in his mind. I mean, maybe he just wants to be close to home. So fair point. I, I don't know. But the point is that those teams, for whatever reason, missed out on Richard Gleeson. Let's move on to the Trent Rockets. Finally, a side that theoretically represent Leicestershire, have a Leicestershire player in it. Obviously, Samuel Patel, Leicester-born. Do not forget that. And Stuart Broad, technically a part of the Trent Rockets, used to play for Leicestershire. I'm really pulling on difficult strings here. So we've actually got a Leicestershire player in, in Ben Mike, going to the Trent Rockets. Now, I like Ben Mike. I, I am slightly concerned, Charlie, however, that I don't think he fixes any of the issues that the Trent Rockets have. Your thoughts? Well, they have a type, don't they? Andy Flower has a type. He likes a bustling, scene bowling all-rounder who can bat at number seven or eight, give it a whack at the death, bowl, bowl a few sets. Um, he really likes them because he's got a lot of them there. He's gone for Lewis Gregory, his captain. He's gone for Martin Delanger, who's not quite as strong with a bat, but nevertheless, he feels a similar kind of role. He's gone for Daniel Sams, who is basically Lewis Gregory, but Australian. He's gone for Ben Mike now. It's the exact same guy over and over again. And I struggle to see how you can find a way to fit Gregory and Sams and Ben Mike into the same team. I don't really get it. For me, the spin was was going to be an area that they would focus on here. I'm surprised they haven't. Obviously, Rashid Khan is going to miss the majority of this competition because of Afghanistan duties. And they've been aware of this for a very long time. They're aware of that going into the draft this year. And they've made it very clear that when they retained him, they were going to miss him for the majority of this season. Presumably, they have an overseas leg spinner in the works as a part of replacement for Rashid Khan. But even so, you would have thought, given that the only reason they have a Carter and Samit Patel, you would have thought that going for a young domestic spinner such as Freddie Heldrick, for example, would have been the play here, rather than Ben Mike, who is a very good player, don't get me wrong. But is basically the same as what they already have. So, yeah, I was slightly confused. He's a very good player. I just don't know how much he's going to play for. Yeah, I, I do find it very funny that they have their meeting for the wildcard draft and you think, what do we need? What we really need is another seamer who can bat at seven or eight. Daniel Sams, not enough. Lewis Gregory, not enough. Stephen Mullaney basically does the kind of same thing, just about 30 miles an hour slower, not enough. It's it's remarkable, isn't it? I mean, though, Ben Mike's a good player. Clearly need to improve their death bowling. I am not convinced on Ben Mike, the death bowler. I've watched Ben Mike play cricket for a number of years, much longer than any of anyone else has, I imagine, sitting there watching Leicestershire streams endlessly. I don't think he's a solution at the death. Uh, he has lots of ability. I, I think he can be good 
uh, especially with the bat. I think he's really, really dynamic. I, I do think he can be a good player. I just look at the sign and think, well, what did they need? They could have done with an extra spinner in my mind. And obviously they'll probably want to go pick one up in, in the replacements draft, the overseas to replace Rashid Khan. But I don't know. It just, it doesn't quite feel like they've nailed exactly what they need when they already have a lot of all-rounders in that side. Obviously, we'll see how it goes. Good player, and I'm very glad that Leicestershire have a representative on Leicestershire's own Trent Rockets. So that that's good. Um, and I'm happy Ben Mike's got a deal, because he absolutely deserves it. He's been fantastic this year. Uh, let's move on to the Oval Invincibles, who I think had one of the shocks of the night, if we're honest, Charlie. Jack Haynes, the, the Worcestershire batter, kind of has come in as their wildcard pick. It um, it definitely took me my surprise. I must admit. Yeah, me too. Me too. I have to say, he started the season very strongly for Worcestershire. Uh, really good nick. Got injured midway through the season, which is kind of why, to be honest, I think he slipped off my radar for that reason. He wasn't playing so much. I wasn't really thinking about him too much earlier on in this competition. I did have him on my admittedly very long long list uh, mm-hmm. of players, so he was like somewhere floating around my players to watch but when we wheeled it down towards the end of the group stages to start making our preview podcast he hadn't made the cut at that point and maybe that's unfair on our part maybe we forgot about what he was doing at the start of the season because of the injury but I personally would have thought that might have been a landing spot for someone like either Stevie Eskenazi because it's worth remembering that the Invincibles only have two specialist openers on the books in Roy and Jack so admit they will play every game but you know, there might have been an area they wanted to strengthen and Eskenazi was available there um, or you know a middle order batter maybe a left-hander like Saif Saib for example who might have been a guy that I think we were looking at may potentially landing there so Haynes wasn't necessarily who we were expecting to end up at over Invincibles and I think that was probably the mould of player that we expected going there. He just wasn't the player that we thought. No, I, I get it. I mean, look, he's had a, he had a good year before his injury, averaging nearly 30, strike rate of 146. He's a, he's a classy player. I, I get why they've got in for him. Uh, I imagine that they just wanted that other middle-order option. Uh, and, and clearly they value Haynes. I think it's important to remember that Sides will have different reasons for wanting certain players. And the analysts at the Invincibles would have looked at Haynes and thought, okay, well, let's look at his pre-injury form, his pre-X, then we like what he offers. We like the roles that he could fill in for us. So slightly out of the blue, but you know, I, I certainly think that it's, it's a good pick for them. And he was a player that we were heavily thinking of before the injury. But interested to see how it goes for the Invincibles this year. And finally, the wildcard pick mr wild card draft himself ben rain baby oh what a flipping treat you know i found out a fact about ben rain charlie which i think you'll appreciate do you know that ben rain is only 30 years old is he only 30 he's only 30 i'm a leicestershire fan followed his entire career i was convinced he was 34 like the, the, man scre- <laughs> the man screams elder statesman at this point in his career, bless him. That's not just because he's old and because he's played for Leicestershire for a few years and it's probably taken its toll. Um, you were going to say bald, weren't you? You were going to say bald. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, he, he, yeah, admittedly, the boldness doesn't help either. Although, to be fair, I do think 
I do think Ben pulls off the bold with the beard quite nicely. This is besides the point. Uh, it's good to see Ben Rain back in the 100, and the Northern Superchargers yet again pick him up. There is no side in the world that values Ben Rain more than the Northern Superchargers, and you have to respect it. It's it's brilliant, isn't it? They they love their they love their guy. They're going to keep coming back to their man. He's like Tom Helm for the Phoenix. You know, they they've got their guy, and they're going to keep coming back to him. And you know what? Like, I think again, that was the mold of player that we were expecting Superchargers to go for because we kept debating like, do they need an extra batter for when Stokes and Brooker on England duty, or do they need an extra seamer to cover for Matty Potts? On, with England duty because he he's the only domestic seaman to have on the bench currently in our kind of mock-up teams. And I think we both realised after having this debate that actually what they need is a guy who can bat and bowl. And that was Ben Rain. He's been bowling very well for Durham this season, I have to say. His, his, his stats, his data is very good this season. And he was very good for all last season as a ball as well. I think we kind of laughed a little bit last season because we just weren't expecting him to be the number one wildcard pick. We were both taken taken aback by that one. But he was very good for them, I have to say, whenever he played, he did a good job. So on that level, I get it. I think personally I would have gone down the down downfleet route for them, probably. I think he's you know that bit younger, that bit more upside. But again, I think Ben Rain will be quite useful for them. It's not the most eye-catching pick, but I think it makes sense. Ben Rain is just the definition of dependable, isn't he? That's what he is. And I think it makes sense. Obviously, a very different all-rounder to Dan Douthwaite. Obviously, Douthwaite more a batting all-rounder. Ben Rain, for, for Durham this year, has been batting below Liam Travaskis and Scott Borthwick and even Bryden Cass at times, which is not ideal. So I don't think batting is quite the strength it used to be for him. But bowled very well. And as I, I think I said in the... Uh, wildcard preview podcast we did he has aged very nicely from the kind of seamer who wants to scream in somebody's face for 30 overs to the guy who's very happy kind of wandering in and bowling those slow balls slightly back of a length and being difficult to get away so you know i see why they've done it he's dependable he's a guy that you know and he's just someone that i think they'll value having in their organization and ultimately, it's much easier to depend on him to bowl a certain amount of overs and contribute than it is to depend on Dan Douthwaite, which is why they've done this. Obviously, Douthwaite offers more batting, which is why we liked him. But clearly, what they wanted was a seamer that could come in and do a job when they needed it. They've got that, to be fair. They have got that. You know, they clearly value experience. That's very obvious in the makeup of their squad at Portland Super Creaky. And while Ben Rain is a mere cherub in this side at 30 years old, a wee bear of a man. He does have a lot of experience. He has been bowling well. And he is very much a known quantity. You know, you know what you're going to get with Ben Rain. And I can see why that's appealing. I can absolutely see why, as a coach, as an analyst, having a guy who offers you dependability and just a set of skills that is well-known to all and sundry, I can completely get the appeal there. So why I might not have made that pick myself, I completely understand it. And I think it'll be a useful asset for them. Yeah, good season this year. Economy rate of 7.41 across 14 games, 15 wickets. The definition of does a job is Ben Ray. My question to you before we get into the rest of the mailbag questions, if Super Creaky had the chance to draft Michael Hogan or Ben Rain. Who do you think they'd have gone for? The experience within the building or those extra 11 years of experience that Michael Hogan would bring? 
whoever is the oldest is always going to be the answer in these questions. If you ever ask me a similar question, who would they have picked? And you give me two names. Whoever is the oldest will be my answer. So it's got to be Michael Hogan. You can just tell that James Foster would have been sitting there in his little draft room setup. And when Hogan was on the board, they'd go, oh, Jesus, oh, we just need that experience. I just don't think our team attackers experienced enough and we lost the most experienced guy in the room. How are we going to cope, lads? How are we going to cope? I haven't played with some of these other players. I need to pick players I've played with. And I think that has been his draft strategy for the most part. Who did I play against when I was playing for Essex that I remember being pretty good? I'm going to pick that guy. Luke roll Wright. Off, oh, roll off, stay roll. I mean, hey, hey, lots of time in the county setup. He knows his stuff. He's honed his craft. David Visa. Hey, David, David Visa's been around for a while. He, he has. <laughs> this is the thing. Luke Wright, oh, brilliant player. Yes, he's got a coaching gig in New Zealand, which will render him unavailable. We won't have to replace him. I don't care. I want him anyway. I want to get his experience in the building for that month or two before the tournament kicks off. We have to milk this experience. And he was very good when I played against him in 2008. So we're going to draft him. But you know what? Old guys do win stuff, in, in the words of Dan Christian. Dan, Dan Christian, why hasn't he been picked up by Northern Supercharges? It's a mystery to us all. He will be coming in as replacement very shortly. I'm, I'm calling it now. But look, they value experience. Like I, We joke about it. And it is quite funny. But it is a valid strategy to a degree. That's not what I would personally endorse, but you know they are clearly trying to emulate the CSK of 2021. Obviously not 2022, that was a disaster, but last year's CSK is the vibe here. And fair play, it's pretty funny. I like it. So just stick to your brand, lads. We'll see how they go. Um, so let's get into some more mailbag questions, shall we, to finish things off. Um, this one's from Craig Ellicott. He asks, do you think any of these picks will have an impact on starting 11s? Now, I think the, the very obvious one is Richard Gleeson. Um, I think he will pretty obviously play for the Manchester Originals and will go straight into their starting 11. But Charlie, do you see any of these other players that have been picked up potentially finding their way into a starting 11 this year? I think Scrimshaw is the other one that has the biggest chance of that. I think right now, Scrimshaw versus Jake Ball is probably the debate that you'll be having at Welsh fight in terms of that third seamer alongside David Payne and Azim Shah. I'm probably going to Scrimshaw, but it might be a really biased thing. I don't know. Other than that, in our, we've got a little spreadsheet going where we're keeping tabs on all the squad movements and we're trying to keep track of essentially what we think the starting 11s will be. And at present, I think Gleason is the only one of these wildcard picks that we've added to those starting 11s. So probably not to start with. That doesn't mean to say that these picks won't have pretty significant roles as the season progresses. You only got to look at the likes of Jake Lintock last season to see how that happens. He didn't play the first couple of games, but they changed the makeup of their starting 11. They changed their balance. And he was their best bowler, arguably. Um, you know, Garton, Jordan, Mills, all exceptional. But Lintock was a real find them, a real story. And he really changed their changed their fortunes going forward. So there is absolutely a place for the wildcard picks to come in and make a big difference. I'm not going to call any other than Gleason and Scrimshaw being regular starters for now, though. I'd agree, but this is the thing, is that two or three games into the season, you get injuries, you get loss of form. Things change very, very quickly. I think Ben Mike could certainly play a role for the Trent Rockets this year. 
And you know, I certainly see Michael Hogan as a guy who could probably play a couple of games for the Southern Brave, depending on their availability of their seamers. You know, things change very, very quickly. And I think you will say a lot of these wild cards play. I don't think James Smith will. Uh, I'm not sure if Jack Haynes makes it in necessarily, but they don't have much batting depth over Oval. So maybe he slips in for Jack Leaning, for example. So you can certainly see him play. You know, I, I think if you're looking at strongest 11s right now, then only maybe one or two players make it in. However, the strongest 11s on day one or a month ahead of the tournament or wherever don't stay that way. You need this depth, and that's why this draft is so important. So kind of interested to see who eventually breaks into the starting lineups um, as we go through the season. Another question from PL, higher PL, is Dom Sibley play? Now, this is the question that everybody wants answered. And the answer is no, is it not, Charlie? Yes, he is not playing. And it's a, it's a mystery why. I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't want to draft a guy with a strike rate of about 120. Um, it is a mystery to me. Um, but alas, Dominic Sibley is not playing in this year's 100. He was on the books, technically speaking, at the Birmingham Phoenix last season, one of their centrally contracted players. Didn't play a game. Again, I wonder why. Um, but this season, now he no longer has a central contract with England. He wasn't automatically assigned to a team and therefore he doesn't play because he wasn't going to get drafted because it's Dom Sibley. So no is the answer. But I'm very sorry if that upsets you, PR. I know how much Dom Sibley or Dob Sibley, as your question puts it so delicately. Um, I know he means a lot to people, um, but yeah, I'm sorry. He's not playing. Shame. It is a shame. Obviously, Jack Leach um, will now be a Birmingham Phoenix. Uh, and given the fact that and um, Graham Van Buren still making his way back from injury. Maybe uh, good old Jack will get an opportunity to add to, what is it, two or three T20s he's played now? Uh, it's perfectly decent returns, but but Jack Leach is now that player. I would like to return to a bit that I've done a lot outside of this podcast about Dom Sibley as the T20 player. Joe, would I like to remind you of Dom Sibley's T20 debut, where he opened both the batting and the bowling. and um, He scored 67 of 49 deliveries batting at the top for Surrey in a total of 188, and then took two for 33, opening the bowling with his leg spin, taking the wickets of Lewis McManus and Adam Wheater of Hampshire. So he got two of the finest wicketkeeper bats out in that game. Economy just over eight. I mean, he's an all-round package. An all-round package is our Dom. So I don't think people should be writing him off too much. But... Um, I do think it's very funny that on T20 debut, Dom Sibley opened the batting and the bowling for Surrey. Um, it's elite stuff from our boy. Anyway, here's another question from Ashi, a question for the podcast. Saif Zaib was a key performer for Northamptonshire in the blast. Any thoughts on him being left out of the 100? Now, obviously, there is a chance that um, Zaib might get picked up as one of the replacements close to the tournament. Players get injured. Um, you know, There's a chance he might make it in the tournament. So any players who are still not picked up, they still have the chance to get in. Obviously, Zive had a good year um, for Northlands this year, 14 games, averaging 34, strike over 150. Played a couple of very, very good innings on TV, which usually helps you get picked up. I must admit, I was slightly surprised he didn't get a go. I thought the all-round package for me was slightly more enticing than a couple of the players who got picked up. I purely say that was obviously, um, he doesn't really bowl his left arm spin anymore, but he's an excellent fielder. And I maybe thought he deserved 
some consideration over the likes of Smith or Haynes, maybe. Um, I get why the Phoenix went with Mousley. I see why they did. Um, I thought he'd have been an interesting left-hander to throw into the mix. The originals obviously went Gleason, no problem there, but I did think maybe he was slightly unlucky to miss out to the likes of Smith. I, I get Haynes, but maybe Smith specifically. No, I'm, I'm with you there. I feel like those have been the landing spots for him. Uh, I think when we were making our predictions, he was definitely a guy that we thought about quite a lot. I think we're expecting him to go. In fact, I think at one point you had him down as being the first overall pick to, to yeah, Phoenix at one point when we were working these out. And yeah, he's one of the few, there's a few guys out there I think can feel unlucky to have missed out. And Zyb is definitely one of those. I would not at all be surprised if he does get picked up as a replacement player. I feel like with the bat, the candidates are probably him, Eskenazi and Paul Walter, who... Simon Harmer is to be believed in his post-match comments and uh, so he caught a final loss the other day is potentially already in talks with someone I don't know if he's just picking up his guy after losing or what I don't know but those are probably the players that will be in the mix with the bat for a replacement gig and I reckon one or two of them will get picked up so I don't think hope is lost for Zype hope it isn't because he's a fine player and I think he deserves to be in the mix here he can definitely consider himself unlucky it's a shame he hasn't been picked up but them's the breaks in the words of Boris Johnson um, I didn't enjoy saying that but I don't know why that phrase came to me sorry to quote that guy but um, it's very funny that he said that but I digress yeah I, I, I think Zyde might get a chance to get picked up I hope he does he just feels like a quintessentially good squad option good fielder uh, batter who can hit across the ground who's quite versatile I, I hope he gets given to go somewhere we'll see obviously um, but yeah, I was slightly surprised he didn't get there. But at the end of the day, I don't think it's um, necessarily the end of his 100 journey for this year. So hopefully he gets to pick up somewhere else. Let's go back to the Manchester Rangers fan account, who's slagging me off slightly less this time. And they ask, are the 100 intentionally downplaying drafts or are there significant shortcomings in the marketing department? News of selections being leaked out by journalists rather than official announcements means a lack of hype weeks out from the tournament. They need to build the brand. I must admit, I was slightly frustrated that they didn't make a bigger deal out of this and they didn't make the announcement so massive. Uh, Matt Roller, obviously the journalist who kind of gets all the scoops on this, and that is because Matt is a phenomenal journalist and deserves a lot of credit for that. I do think it's a slight shame that they maybe didn't make as big a deal of the wildcard draft uh, or the draft in general. Uh, it would have been nice if they'd have got a bit more hype out of it and all they really did to promote it was a couple of videos of some players who obviously then didn't get picked up I don't know who selects the players that they they preview in these wildcard draft previews but it's never it's never the never the players you'd expect anyway and then they did kind of a video announcing the picks a few hours after it just feels a bit anticlimactic so I understand the frustration I, I feel like their marketing strategy is almost a little bit nervous to except that the cricket is a really good product. It feels like they're often very keen to promote the atmosphere and the music and the entertainment. And those are all great parts of this competition. I completely get why they do that. But it feels like at some point, much like T20 cricket, there was that moment where after really filling it with additional entertainment and kind of like these gimmicky extras that originally was much of the focus of the marketing, after a few years, they kind of realised that actually the cricket's selling itself here. We don't need to have this stuff because the cricket is the product. And I feel like at some point with 100, that will too start to happen because the cricket is really good. You know, there's no point trying to hide the fact that we have a draft system because 
it's pretty cool. It's the only UK major sport, as far as I'm aware, that has a draft system. It's interesting. It's cool. And what I get, they're not for everyone. I certainly get, you know, it's not necessarily a, a big family event to go and watch the, the drafts. But you can make something of that. I think the market is there to do a little bit more than what they are doing. So, yeah, I will echo that it's a bit of a shame that more wasn't made of it. But it is what it is, isn't it? You know, it's it happened. It's a shame, but the cricket's the main thing, and that's coming soon. It's cool, screams the cricket nerd about the cricket draft. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, look, I think it is a bit of a shame. Um, however, I do accept that the Minions being part of the 100 and terrorising Luke Fletcher and Sam Patel. <laughs> that is much more entertaining than the wildcard draft, and no one will convince me otherwise. I'm very excited to see what the Minions are up to at the 100. But yeah, I do think it's a slight shame. I do think they can make a bigger deal out of it. I know that the wildcard draft isn't the most exciting part of the whole tournament, but a bit more hype would have been useful. So there we are. Anyway, final question from Charlie Auckland. With the knockouts of the Blast in full flow, how do you reckon the stronger counties would fare in the 100? Somerset, Lancashire and Surrey at full strength seem to be as strong as some of the 11s. Now, this is interesting because I do think if you put out a full strength Lancashire or Surrey side, they would compete very, very well in the 100. I think that's pretty clear, um, especially that Surrey side. When you, I mean, I'm just, just to kind of pull out some of the names that they were putting out early in the season, obviously you've got Roy, Jax, um, both Currens, Topley, Pollard, um, Narine. Dan Moriarty, uh, you, you, they, they basically could put out a full international attack along with a very strong batting core, Jamie Overton as well. I think um, there's not much doubt in my head that a side like Surrey or Lancashire, when they put out Livingston, Butler, Parkinson, Sackib, wh- whoever, there's no doubt in my mind that they do very well in the 100. No, I completely agree. I, it's pretty clear to see, you know, those big counties, their best last counties are of an equivalent standard to 100 sites. No doubt about it. I think the thing to remember, though, is that it's only a handful of counties who really have that quality in them. We're seeing quite a big gulf in quality between the very best counties and the weaker counties. And this is nothing new. We've always, certainly in my life, in my lifetime as a cricket fan, we've always kind of had that divide. You know, when you have a setup wherein some counties have more money than others and have more resources than others, it's natural that you're going to have that kind of divide in quality. So it's not anything new there. But I think it's fair to say that some counties are quite a bit stronger than other counties. And the majority of counties would not really stand much chance against the majority of 100 sides. And that's not a critique of the counties. It's just the way the system works. But some teams would do very well in a 100 competition. The majority probably wouldn't. I think this is where I think people get caught up in the debate of, oh, you know, the Blast is just as strong as the 100 because they look at sides like Lancashire and Surrey and think, oh, they're just as good. And yes, they are. However, the point of the 100 is, is you get eight sides that should theoretically work on an equal ground. And because there's a concentration of talent across those eight sides, they're all going to be really good rather than just having two or three really good counties. And we saw this the other night. Somerset are a, a very good side, and they absolutely obliterated Derbyshire uh, in the quarterfinal at Taunton. And T20, in my mind, used to be the great leveller. You, you got all of these sides, like Worcestershire, like those really great Worcestershire sides led by Moe Nally. I don't think it should be like underestimated 
how well they did given the talent level they possessed. Daryl Mitchell was bowling four overs for them. Like Moeen Ali was capturing this fantastic side just full of bit part players and they just didn't have the talent to stand up to any other side. They just didn't, but because they were really clever and intelligent and played the right brand of cricket and knew what worked for them and played to their strengths, they were really, really good. And Derbyshire, for a little while, was one of those kind of fun sides who just didn't have the quality but knew their roles and executed their roles. And that used to be why you know the Blast was so entertaining. You've got all these different winners. But now T20 cricket is changing and you can no longer compete. I think the days of the underdog and the T20 Blast are pretty much done. You saw what happened to Derbyshire at Somerset. They just couldn't keep up with the firepower of Rousseau or Banton. You know, these days, if you have that fifth bowler who's maybe not so threatening, um, but you could try and sneak him in. In the old days, you could sneak him in. Nowadays, you can't. This age of intent and aggressiveness just means that the very best players, that the highest profile players, the highest quality players, and the sides who possess them are always just going to steamroll the competition most of the time. There's no way out of it. If you have the stars and you play the right brand of cricket, you're going to run teams over. Because that's just the new phase of T20 cricket. It's not about scores of 150, 160 anymore. It's scoring 200 plus, pummeling the opposition, taking down the positive matchups. You know, that's why I think the T20 Blast is kind of a, 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 having a problem at the moment it's because you have all these sides with loads of money who can pull all of this firepower together and just obliterate some of the better sides. And it's such a shame that I think, you know, a side like Derbyshire had a really fun season, just walked into that game with no chance. And especially given that was their own fault for hosting a Michael Bublé concert on the day they were going to get a quarter <laughs> Unbelievably stupid. So I think they probably deserved it, to be frank. The players didn't, certainly, but the club as a whole did. But I do think it's just a shame. And look, there are some sides who can still hold their own. Leicestershire this year did very well, deserved a quarterfinal place. Obviously, you have the on-field discipline issues, which have been around the club forever. Look, I've took them out of it. My point is that I do think that's why the 100 is more interesting, because you have eight sides on equal grounds, you know, in the women's competition, there's some slight issues where if you have Charlotte Edwards, she can recruit everyone, but she's Charlotte Bloody Edwards and everyone wants to play for Charlotte Bloody Edwards. But especially on the men's side, you have a draft, you, you have equal opportunities, and each side, I think, has a chance of winning the competition. And that's what's exciting me about the 100. That's why the 100 is higher quality than the Blast this year. And so, yes, look, sorry, Lancashire, on a full day, strong day, would do very well, might win the competition. But... What the 100 brings is equal opportunities, interesting cricket, and it just means that some of the bigger sides of the bigger paychecks aren't going to steamroll the opposition. So that's why I think the tournament's interesting, rant over. No, I think you raised some really, really good points there. I think the first thing I want to mention, actually, uh, piggybacking of what you just said, is that the difference, I think, between 100 and Blast, one of many, is that in 100, if a team is bad, if a team is recruited poorly, it's entirely their fault because they've had just as much chance to be good as every other team. It's on them because they just picked the wrong players. Their strategy hasn't been good enough. It's on them, which makes it funny. Whereas in the blast, if a team is bad, sometimes it's because they have poor strategy and sometimes it's because their tactics or whatever haven't been very good. But most of the time, it's just because they don't have the finances and the resources to compete with the big teams. And that's not funny. That's just quite sad. When you look at Derby the other night, they're a nice team. They're tactically very astute. They all know their roles very well. They've got an excellent coach in Mickey Arthur, but they don't have the finances or the resources to be able to compete with the likes of Surrey and Lancashire 
and burning in bears and whatever. And there's always going to be a divide. And of course, you know, 220 is, is by its nature a game of high variance, and occasionally they will come off. But most of the time, that engulfing quality is just going to be too big to address with tactics. And that shouldn't be happening as much in 100. If it does, it's entirely on the team themselves, which makes it funny rather than sad. And I think that's a nice way to compare the plight of the weaker teams in the respective competitions. Another thing that I want to pick you back on, which I think is also really interesting, is when you mentioned about the fifth bowler being targeted. I think the game has evolved to a point now where teams are being so much more canny with their tactics. They're relying on data a lot more. They're going to be investing so much more in really specific matchups and very specific situations. They don't necessarily have to go early all the time. They probably will. That's always a good tactic in my mind. But if they know that your fifth bowler is going to have a particularly weak matchup uh, to one of their batters, who they know is going to be able to take them down, they're just going to wait for that bowler to come on and they're going to punish you. And that's the simple fact is that you can't afford to have those weaknesses. Even if it's a little 1% difference, the other team are going to capitalize on that weakness with every single ounce of their being because why wouldn't you? Teams are so much more invested in taking those advantages, no matter how slim they might be on paper, because they know you can get a situation like and the other day at Derbyshire versus Somerset, right? Matty McKiernan had a very good blast, been a, a really solid bowler for them this season. Was probably in the frame for a World Cup. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have picked him myself, but I digress. He's had a good season and you know would have been on the radar perhaps for some teams. He's a decent bowler, but because the matchup of him bowling at Riley Rousseau was so negative for the bowling opposition, it was absolutely brutal to watch. And I felt really bad for McKiernan because he didn't really do much wrong. But the simple fact that he was, you know, a fairly mid-level leg spin, turning the ball into the left-handed absolute monster, Riley Rousseau, on a short square boundary, he had absolutely no chance. And that's the fundamental difference here. That 1% difference was just always going to be taken full advantage of by Somerset there. And no matter what you do, Yes, it was pretty questionable captains he'd have done that. But McKeon was going to have to bowl his overs at Rousseau at some point because he batted the most of that inning. So at some point, that matchup was going to have to happen. And if your team is, is set up in a way where you can't get around that, you're going to struggle no matter what. So it's that big divide in resources that's always going to be an issue for these teams. And it's a shame because I don't really see it being rectified. I think it's the Ben Dunk effect coming into a regular... T20 group think, isn't it? If you remember the old days of PSL Ben Dunk, the reason he was so good is because, <clears throat> I don't know if you I think Jared Kimbaugh's an excellent video on this, is that Ben Dunk um, is, uh, had one of the greatest matchups in history. Like There was no batter who scored quicker against a specific bowling type than Ben Dunk against slow left armors. And a couple of PSL sides would have a couple of good PS, good left-arm spinners, and they wouldn't think about bringing them onto Ben Dunk because they were good, and Ben Dunk would destroy the matchup and create a massive chasm in the game. Now, batters, teams, think about that kind of thing a lot more, and like Ben Dunk against left-arm spin, they exploit those matchups. And I think that's where you know, this new version of T20 cricket is getting away from smaller teams and look Leicestershire, a good example of a team that use every edge they can get 
still quite weren't quite able to get there. You know, what, what, you know, for whatever reason you want to point at, uh, despite having some really, really, really good players this year. So it's a shame, and that's why I do value the hundred, and I do think that you know, however good Surrey and Lancashire are on paper, the hundred is absolutely still a higher standard competition, both in terms of the the best players playing for them and being put into stronger sides and that strength and depth being very strong as well, but also for the competitiveness of things. Anyway, that's the end of the 100 podcast for this wildcard review. I think we went slightly off <laughs> off tangent, but, but never mind. Uh, if there were any kind of bumps in the road, that is slightly because I'm still recovering from COVID um, and still kind of getting back there. And we'll be back soon, I think, given we're less than a month away from the competition, our team previews will be coming very soon. Just keep an eye on that. We have some fun podcast ideas as well, whether we'll be able to do them or not. Uh, we'll, we'll let you know if we have the time. Um, but we'll have those team previews coming soon. We'll have some other fun stuff going on during the tournament as well. So keep up to date to everything we're doing at Podcast 100 on Twitter. We'll speak to you next time.